This is Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. I'm Father Yuri Claudio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my friend and teacher, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Father Jeffrey, we're here. Thank you. We are here for season three. It feels uh, like a good day to begin something new. Yeah, exactly. I think it's probably been about a year since we recorded uh, our first ever episode. So um, it's good to be here with you. And I'm excited to start uh, a new series. We've we just finished a series on Vespers. So if you want to listen to that, you can go back into our podcast archives. We don't have that on YouTube. Um, but we've just finished a series on Vespers and we thought we'd do something a little bit different that we would actually do a series not on one of the services of the hours, but on a sacramental service. So before we even dive into it, before we dive into baptism and all that kind of stuff, Father Jeffrey, can you just give a quick um, a quick recap of the difference between what we call like liturgy of the hours versus like a sacramental liturgy? Okay, well, the obvious difference off the bat would be the occasion on which these things happen, right? So Liturgy of the Hours, as its name implies, has to do with, you know, the, the kind of passing of time in the church and the way that we mark that time with a whole series of services. So every day, every week, every, you know, eight weeks, these all have kind of cycles in which we, you know, keep a rhythm of services, um, you know, throughout every day. And the Vesper service that we focused on in our first uh, season was all about that service that begins the the day in every evening which is at sunset and so on any given day you have vespers right so it's not a matter of waiting for the opportune moment or oh my goodness today should be a day on which we have vespers vespers is appointed for every day of the year right but the sacramental services or the holy mysteries are what you could say occasional services in other words uh, not that we just do them every once in a while but that we do them when there is occasion to do them right when there's a reason to do them in other words uh, there's a sacrament to be served in this case uh, somebody is to be received into the church and so that need you know, is responded to with a service, and that service is baptism. And that can actually be celebrated most of the year, although as we'll talk about in this season, uh, there is a, you know, there, there are key moments in which it's more appropriate to do so. In fact, one very key one, out of which actually the whole structure of the service is actually created. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. But in, in practice, baptism can be celebrated, you know, nearly any day of the year. And so it's the occasion that gives rise to the service rather than just simply the fact that it's another day and another hour at which we could pray. Right. So baptism is a service that I, that a lot of people have attended, right? Whether you're Orthodox or not Orthodox, even if you never go to church and you only watch TV, you've been exposed to, you know, a Christian version of baptism, right? Or some sort of Christian denominational version of baptism, right? I'm thinking even there's a scene from The Office, which is centers around a baptism, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I think this ceremony uh, is in the public conscious consciousness. When you talk about baptism, people do have uh, those things in their minds. And um, I, I think, you know, for most, I think for most, let's say, unchurched people, when you think of the topic of baptism, 
there's two things that would come to mind, like kind of on extremes, right? You have you would have one side that would say, well, you're just indoctrinating a child into sort of a, a religion or something like that and not giving them a choice. But on the other hand, um, people might see it just as sort of like a nice way of having a symbolic entry into the world for this new child, which is sort of like a nice thing. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't really going anywhere with a question with that, Father Jeffrey, more so of an, uh, of an observation that I think people are familiar with baptism, but probably not familiar with the intricacies of an Orthodox baptismal ceremony. Well, that's important. And as we embark on this series, I think one of the things we'll have to bear in mind is that people already have a lot of ideas right. about what baptism is, maybe from films or from books or from their own personal experience. And um, and that's something we need to, to kind of contend with. In fact, you know, it may very well even be that people who are Orthodox show up at Orthodox baptisms with these preconceived ideas and therefore miss a lot of what's there because they've already predetermined what it is that they're watching, right? And so as we take a kind of uh, closer look at the service, uh, services really, because there's a whole series of things that take place when we bring someone into the church, whether they are infant or whether they are older, like adults and so forth, um, the, you know, as we look at and indeed through those services because they they point to an understanding of life and about our purpose here um and that's really important to take take note of and i think sometimes uh having all those ideas in our heads already you know we've determined that's all that, that's going on and, and that's all we see that's all we experience and that can be sometimes the most difficult thing of all it's it's one thing if it's a totally new experience you're open to all possibilities but here maybe part of our job in this series will be just kind of i don't know cracking open a window and letting some some fresh air in where you know already the, the thing has been quite predetermined and, and maybe stale at this point so even for orthodox who think they know what baptism is let's let's strive to kind of expand the imagination a little bit right there's a common saying that i've heard in orthodox circles and i'm sure it's present in other christian denominations and other religions as well but you have uh this saying called you know um hatch match and dispatch right this idea that people really only come to church when they need to you know hatch when they have a baby right they get it baptized match well, you come back for, you know, you'd never come back to church until you get married. Then you come back to church and you get married. And then when you die, dispatch, right? Um, and I, I know priests and clergymen and, and they try and fight against that sort of uh, only coming to church for those big events. But it sort of happens where baptism is the sort of really profound ritual in people's lives that even those who don't actually come to church can still see the beauty and the meaning that is present in that ceremony. And I guess, yeah, I'll throw it to you. Like, why do you think that is like, you know, marriage, funerals and baptisms seem to be the three big occasions that people come back to church. Why is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, to a certain extent, um, the Holy mysteries do kind of map onto significant moments in life, you know, that may not be true of of every single one of them. Um, you know, some of them are repeated a lot more regularly, like Divine Communion, Holy Eucharist, which we we have at every Divine Liturgy. But things like baptism, with it, 
with chrismation that goes hand in hand with that. In the West, of course, chrismation as a sacrament is a separate thing as confirmation. So that becomes another kind of moment of life passage, you know, in, in early teens, uh, marriage, you know, uh, even, you know, Arguably, things like ordinations or, or whatever are, are kind of life moments or stages, uh, and then, of course, at the end end of life as well. So, I think there's a sense in which human beings want to ritualize and make ceremonies out of, of key moments um, in their life, and they want also to you know, to do that with all of the ceremonial that the church can offer, whether it's the beautiful architecture, the, the nice setting, the, the vestments, the, the songs and so, and so forth. A lot of things that people don't ordinarily surround themselves with, they, they kind of want to repair to when, when you have these kind of key moments. So, you know, in speaking about people who wouldn't ordinarily be said to have a Christian commitment of any kind or any kind of church membership or regular practice and so forth, but they will kind of think of, okay, it's our family tradition. They'll even do things like, well, I was baptized in such and such a church, so we'll go there. Even though we live miles away from here now, we'll go there because that's the family church or that's the graveyard where our family members are buried. So let's let's make sure that kind of all the family events are connected to that. And I, I've seen this in my own kind of extended family as well. I mean, there, there are family members I have who, who would have traveled back to England in order to do these ceremonies. They live in Canada now, but... But the family church, you know, is in, you know, Billingshurst in West Sussex. And so they'll, they'll go there and that's where generations upon generations, you, know, you can count back hundreds of years where the family have been hatched, matched and dispatched. And so there's this kind of layer of, I don't know, a kind of deeper sense of tradition and belonging. You know, it's about ancestry. It's about uh, genealogy and, and family, you know, traditions. People will do things like, well, this is the baptismal gown that, that I wore or my grandparents wore, you know, and, and even around weddings, we have similar things, right, that you're supposed to wear part of your your uh, outfit for the day has to have something from, from tradition and some con connection to the past. So I think people do this you know, in all kinds of very human, uh, traditional ritual, you know, kind of fashions. I, you're talking about the pushback, you know, against obviously, you know, it's not ideal. Um, but I do think there's an opportunity, therefore, at these moments. And maybe again, in this series, we can talk about how you know, the service of baptism is a real evangelical moment, right? It's a moment of, of mission and uh, reaching out because arguably you're going to have a more mixed, varied, and, you know, open congregation there than you have on an ordinary Sunday. So when you prepare your sermon for for the baptism service, be mindful that there are people there who aren't ordinarily in church. So how, how, how are you going to address that? So the themes that we'll be, you know, looking for, evoking and presenting in this series, hopefully will be ones that not only kind of make Orthodox rethink, you know, some of the stuff they've missed in the service, but they could also be some of the things that are a real outward facing missionary uh, evangelistic um, opportunity for the church as as they are in fact you know baptism and the whole mysteries of initiation that we'll be talking about is all about the expansion of the church it's about the you know, extending the reign of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ who reigns now but only visibly for those who have been baptized and chrismated, in other words, who have been reborn. And so here is an opportunity to 
make that proclamation and to have others respond to it. Uh, and so it's not just a matter of a kind of private, you know, inward facing gathering. It is actually an extension mm-hmm. of the kingdom as we celebrate this. So it's not a bad thing that we have people who come to church ever, right? I would not complain about it. In, the, in you know, I don't know that you intended to suggest that of the clergy who are pushing back against it. Really, we should be saying, oh my goodness, there are people here who aren't normally here. What do we do about that? Let's yeah. evangelize, right? I've heard I've heard clergy do both, right? I've heard clergy complain about it, right? That, oh, or, or like, or think that these people are somehow, you know, not not that great that they only come to church. Or um, I remember growing up and thinking that I was superior because I wasn't a C and E or a Christmas yeah. and Easter, you know, and, and I had this false sense of pride that God somehow loves me more than them because I happened to go to church a couple more times a year. Um, I think, you know, that can be, that can be a, a real problem. And, and I think your view of, you know, using this as an opportunity to, you know, welcome back people that haven't been been there in a while. I, I think there's something really valuable there um, that I, I kind of didn't grow up thinking that way. So hmm. I'm, uh, I'm in recovery. How's that? <laughs> Very good. Um, so this term baptism, this, this word baptism is loaded with meaning, right? It's this fancy word. We don't use it in daily life, right? Um, you know, you don't, you don't go buy your pizza and then ask for, you know, a, a a, a sauce that you can baptize your pizza in. Um, but like my understanding is Greek, <laughs> right in Greek. So my, my understanding is that in the Greek, it means to dip, mm-hmm. right. Or to, I don't know, to put in or whatever to dip. Um, so it's sort of a little, I don't know the English word. I think we've transliterated it from the Greek. So it bears a bit more religiosity, right? It's a bit more of a fanciful term. Is it fine that we keep the word baptism or should we just start calling it dipping? I don't know. What's your perspective, Father Jeffrey? Yeah, I mean, there's a real risk with some of these terms, right? That, And there are a whole slew of them that we do from, from the Greek. We just simply transliterate them. And we, therefore, they are neologisms in English, you know, words that have been just invented for this purpose. And therefore, they have very little other meaning, as you say. I mean, there is a kind of metaphorical baptism that you can speak of, but it's only in relation to the fact that there's a Christian sacrament called baptism, right? So people talk about, well, my first day on the job was a baptism of fire, you know, it, you know, so we, we, but, but you're thinking of the religious idea as you right. say that, right? Whereas it wasn't originally, and most of these terms that are transliterated this way are not originally religious words in, in any sense. So even words like, you know, repentance and, and, uh, you know, all kinds of things, even, in the church, the, the bishop, the overseer is just, you know, somebody who's looking over, supervising and, and so forth. But we take episcopos, we turn it into bishop in English, and that has a very peculiar and specific religious meaning and so forth. So we have all these words that have just become religious vocabulary. And I think part of the risk of that is that we just think of them in one sphere. Right. And we don't kind of expand the the meaning of those terms to to kind of encompass what would be a more holistic and, in fact, integrating 
essentially worldview, right? So the, the real risk always in the Christian church is that we divide the world into secular and sacred. You know, here's the world that we have to live in, the workaday life where we have our families, our workplaces, our schools and everything. And then we have church and church operates on completely different principles. Well, that's not how Christian life is supposed to work. It's supposed to be utterly integrated, right? Christ came, united heaven and earth, and there is no secular sacred divide. We're supposed to be always and everywhere integrating the life of the Holy Spirit in the church with every aspect of our life. So if, if the particular religious vocabulary that we use in over here in church means that we're not even thinking of it elsewhere, that's that's a risk. That's a danger. And that's something we need to at least be aware of and then you know take stock of and, and do something about. So okay, we're we're loaded with this term, you know, baptism which essentially just means to dip or to immerse. Um, and, you know, so what, you know, what can we do to kind of make sure that it's not just seen in this very narrow religious spiritual sense and it has a kind of wider, you know, understanding? Well, we could do that through a proper look at the services and what is involved there. We can do that with better preaching, with better teaching and, and so forth. So with podcasts and so forth, we can talk about, you know, the wider dimensions of this, that uh, if we had maybe had a different word would have been more obvious perhaps, but I think we're always having to kind of make up the distance uh, between, you know, reality and people's perception of it. So, I mean, that there wouldn't be preaching or teaching if we didn't have that gap. So we just have to be aware of it as we, as we talk about it, but, but you're right. I mean, the, the word baptism or baptize is used elsewhere, even in the scriptures to, to talk about quite ordinary things, right? So uh, Judas is said to to baptize his bread, you know, uh, in the cup uh, of the wine at the Last Supper. And so, um, you know, obviously it doesn't have at all the same religious specificity there that, you know, the, the word has come to take in, in English. But what does that mean, that, that we are doing something in and through this sacrament that is about immersion, about entering in, about, about uh, you know, going plunging into something in order to arise. We're going to have to look at what all the dimensions of that are rather than just sort of thinking of it as it's the name of a sacrament. And, it, you know, no matter what happens in that, it just, it has that particular word associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of, in particular, if you are watching this or listening to this and you come from, let's say a non-Orthodox kind of Christian background, and you've been in discussions of baptism, there's a lot of controversy over whether you should baptize infants or whether it should baptism should be reserved for adults who actually can consent to what they're doing. Um, I've known of one Orthodox family in my life who, uh, let's just, well, they w really, really did not want to baptize their kids as babies they wanted the kids to grow up and to make their own decision which you can imagine in a ukrainian orthodox church context would actually cause quite a bit of um uh feather ruffling because in the in the ukrainian church that i grew up in the practice was you baptize your babies at 40 days old um so often you know if somebody from another christian background says oh you know father yuri do does the orthodox church baptize babies I, i'll say yes we do but the service itself is actually written for an adult, right? The baptism service kind of assumes that the person that's being baptized is an adult because that person actually responds to questions from the presbyter. Um, 
So I guess, Father Jeffrey, how would you like that question of does the Orthodox Church baptize babies? Yes, we do. But the service is for an adult. How do we square? How does the Orthodox Church square that idea of baptizing infants, but the actual service is written for an adult? Right. Uh, and, and to fully answer this question would require, you know, a fair amount of uh, liturgical history and, and theology and so forth. But it would not be wrong to kind of sum that all up. You know, we can maybe visit this throughout the series in, in different ways. But to sum it all up, it would be not wrong to say the normal, quote unquote, normal practice is to receive adults. But... We have always extended that to households, which include people of all ages. Uh, and so we read, when we read the book of the Acts of the Holy Apostles and we hear about, you know, somebody who is received into the church and his whole household, we're assuming that that meant not just people who, you know, were of age of reason as, as that came to be defined or uh, people who are age of majority, adults, uh, or, or even just simply those who were the, the kind of heads of the family. We, we assume that meant the entire household whether that was elderly people, uh, disabled people, children, uh, the free people, the slaves, the everybody who made up a household. And in, in kind of Greco-Roman society, those, that could be quite a large number of people, right? So from the very early days of the apostles, the assumption was that, that this was a community thing and that all of our faith is interdependent, right? The, 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 the highly individualistic understanding of rationality and of, you know, being able to consent and, and, and making a kind of individual decision. There's obviously a very personal dimension to baptism. We'll be talking about that. It is our death and resurrection and participation in the life of Christ, but it's always a communal one. It's a baptism into a body and therefore it's something that we do together. And so the church has never shied away from receiving people who you wouldn't in an ordinary sense say have, have consented or been able to rationally, you know, express that. Um, but that said, I mean, hundreds of years after the apostles, we have some of the greatest saints of the church who were, uh, you know, waiting until they were adults to, to be received, even when their parents were saints, you know, some people like, uh, you know, Saint Gregory the theologian famously wasn't received into the uh, church by baptism until he was 30, even though, you know, he's in a saintly family, right? It's not like his parents had failed in their, in their job or had somehow apostatized or something like that. So the normal practice, and, and that's reflected entirely in the text, we have no separate form of service for baptizing an infant. So everything assumes that the person is going to do things like lifting up their arms and putting down their arms and turning one direction and turning another and entering into, into a baptismal font and walking out of it themselves. We have to adapt. And in, in fact, it's fascinating that throughout the Orthodox world, there are all kinds of different ways that that has been adapted for, for infants um, in, in terms of, of the practice, you know, around that. But essentially, the norm is to receive adults. And in fact, throughout the entire, you know, middle Byzantine period, um, even when they were receiving children, they did actually wait uh, several years. And we'll talk about this, I think, mostly in connection with how baptism was principally celebrated as a Paschal event. And I, my feeling about why, and my understanding of why it was 
three, four, and five-year-olds who were brought to baptism, um, still before the age of reason, you know, in a kind of Western uh, rational uh, understanding of, of that sort of thing. But, um, you know, th- but they waited until they had a, a capacity for remembering, I think, the, the event, because it was so connected with a, a festival that was celebrated every year. So we'll, we'll get back into that at some point. But so it's only very recently that you find this kind of practice you say has uh, been picked up in the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of insisting on a kind of 40 day thing. And, and and it's not unfair to say that it's been largely under a kind of Western influence there. And Ukraine, I think, has felt that pressure maybe more than other parts of, of the Orthodox world as well, because you know, that's where East and West kind of meet, you know, uh, in Ukraine, Poland, you know, the, the whole history of, of, of the Church of Kiev and, and so forth. And so under a little bit of Western pressure in the West obviously has had much more interest in immediately baptizing infants because of course the alternative is hell right in a, in a western understanding uh in, in christian theology as opposed to the eastern approach which is that you know ba- unbaptized babies do not go to hell is, is not our view uh or sorry it is our view that they do not go to hell um and uh an important clarification which is an important clarification uh and the the, the best the west could do was say well okay they go to hell but it, it's like the best part of it we'll call it limbo but it's still part of hell right so obviously there's a real pressure in fact during the western middle ages it was eight days not 40 days so ukrainians are waiting far too long uh, in great risks with their children in, in this regard but but it wasn't a, a concern in the east there wasn't this understanding that if you were unbaptized you would necessarily go to hell and so they would wait you know for toddlers i think to form the capacity for memory so that you would remember your baptism well how interesting is that for everything we're about to talk about in this series that baptism is so important that the church wanted to be sure you remembered yours and you remember and you could be annually reminded of it because you would watch the other people at pascha being baptized and i think you know that's going to be fascinating as we talk about all the different parts of the service and having that that real memory of your own baptism as a life-changing event as in fact the most decisive event of your entire life as opposed to simply something you find in your pictures or family can tell you a story about that you know very private family event that took place on some Saturday afternoon in your very early days and that sort of thing which is just a ritual a, a rite of passage and so forth no this is the entire purpose of your life represented in this experience and so you need to remember it you need to return to it you need to be reminded of it as often as possible. Return to it daily in your mind, in your in your spiritual journey towards the kingdom. And I think there's so much just wrapped up in that idea. Of you need to be conscious of it, as opposed to you need to be able to rationally articulate the faith in such a way that you earn a baptism. We don't go there, but I think we do go to the point where we say remembering it and being conscious of it and being able to live out the reality of it. Because of course, in our baptism, as we'll be talking about, everything is given. You know, we, it is our personal Pentecost and we are made saints and we have to just implement that in the rest of our life, not, you know, earn the right to, to be called saints, but we are made saints in that. And we need to live out that grace, that, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So the service of baptism is definitely designed kind of on an individual basis where there's questions asked of a particular person who then responds, you know, um, do you unite yourself to Christ? Yes, I unite myself to Christ, right? Questions like that. But 
it's also done like in the church and there are kind of other people around. So for our last question today, to set up our series here, Father Jeffrey, is, is baptism about kind of the unique person and their journey, their personal journey? Or is it about the community and the life of the community? Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, it is both. And I think one of the key things is that our understanding of what makes a unique human person uh, in the Christian East is very much based on a life in community, uh, an interdependent life, not an independent existence. So when we think of the personal commitment that one's own baptism and chrismation and reception of the divine Eucharist is all about, we don't think of that on an individualistic basis. We think of it on a personal basis and persons are only persons in communion, are only persons in, in that interdependent, self-sacrificial love of the, the Trinity reflected in the life of the assembly of those called into covenant relationship with, with the Trinity. And so, in fact, it, the individualistic thing is actually where you know, one is less unique, right? The individualism of the world of sin, of this passing away age is kind of boring and it's kind of nondescript. It's kind of, you know, has no character to it. Every sin is kind of like every other sin. It's only, if you would want to talk about unique, uh, you know, proper individuality, uh, it's in becoming a person in the fullness of what that means in, in the likeness of, of, of an image of God in communion with the church. It's the saints who are interesting, not the sinners. The, the saints are those who come into that kind of unique, um, you know, place in, 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 the, in creation. And so it's, it's taking up that community life. That's where we find our individual or unique place our 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 specificity really in the eyes of god and in, in the life of of the world and so uh that's why the, the community plays such an important you know role here yes there are confessions of faith made by the person being received and by his or her sponsor but the that confession of faith is the symbol of faith of the church it's the it's the nicene creed that we proclaim at every divine liturgy and which is our shared faith and it's you know let us love one another that with one mind we may confess right it's that shared uh, life of the church in, in into which we enter by that personal um you know conviction and so it's essential that baptism take place in the whole community it's not a private family affair it's not something just simply for for the family to organize with a few friends and have a party afterwards it is essential that it's connected directly to the, the the life of the local parish into which one is being received, the whole of the community. Ideally, it takes place within the celebration of a divine liturgy, which was where it was originally, you know, set. And we'll see the structure of the service mirrors that and, and has come out of that much the same way as other sacraments mm -hmm. like the, the holy matrimony or the crowning have come out of that. So it's really important that we reconnect it with that. And ultimately, if possible, with the whole of the liturgical life of, of that community. And so by, by putting it back into the rhythm of Lent and Holy Week and Pascha, as we'll be talking about, is another aspect of that reconnection with community. So, yes, it's about 
the salvation of one, but of salvation is never it's an individual thing. It's the life of the whole church. We are saved in community, in covenant relationship with one another and with the living God. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Father Jeffrey. I'm really looking forward to the series and I hope our audience uh, gets a lot of value from it as well. I know I will. Enacting the Kingdom is a patron-supported show, and if you're not a patron, you're only getting half of everything we create. If you'd like to join our growing community of supporters, please go to patreon.com slash enactingthekingdom. Your patronage goes a long way to keeping this show going. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.